Hello everyone, and welcome back to the History of Middle-Earth podcast. My name is Phil, and I will be your guide for today's adventure back to Middle-Earth. Today's episode is brought to you by Rachel Muirhead. Going into this week for in Middle-Earth history, Monday, June 20th, in 3018, Sauron launches a large attack on Osgiliath, and around that same time, Thranduil is attacked and Gollum makes his escape. June 22nd, Bilbo returns to the Shire with the One Ring in 2942. Saturday, June 25th, in 3019, King Elsar finds the sapling of the White Tree. Thursday, June 30th, in 2941, Bilbo, Gandalf, and the dwarves reach the end of their stay in Rivendell, and Elrond examines the swords of Thorin and Gandalf, as well as Thorin's map. Monday, July 4th, 3018, Boromir sets out from Minas Tirith for Rivendell. Now on for our main topic, Sauron. Sauron was a highly gifted Maya. He was a student of Eule and became incredibly skilled at crafting. He was named Myron, coveting the power through which he could coordinate all things according to his own will, he joined with Melkor. As Gorthaur, he became the most trusted lieutenant of Morgoth being reckoned as the greatest of his allies and servants in the wars of Beleriand. From his fortress of Tolengarhoth, Sauron was directly responsible for the death of Barahir, and later the Noldorian king Finrod, during the quest for the Silmaril. He demonstrated the ability to take the form of a wolf, a serpent, and a vampire, after the downfall, downfall of Morgoth, Sauron continually strove to conquer, conquer Middle-earth throughout the Second and Third Ages. In the Second Age, under the guise of Anatar, he deceived the elves of Regian, who under his guidance had created the Rings of Power, while he secretly forged the One Ring in Mount Doom. Sauron then became the Lord of the Rings. Failing to corrupt the elves, he assaulted the Westlands, beginning a period called the Dark Years, striking the first time he became known as the Dark Lord. His influence corrupted the Numenorians, eventually leading to the destruction of Numenor, which led to Elendil founding the realms in exile of Arnor and Gondor. Elves and the Dunedain, the descendants of the Numenorians, formed the Last Alliance, and in the Second Age, 3441, Elendil, an elven high king, Gilgalad, died destroying Sauron's body. Following Sauron's defeat, Elendil's son, Isildur, took the One Ring. Now jumping back a little bit, after Morgoth made his great fortress of Angband in the northwest of Middle-earth, he appointed Sauron to be his commander. When the Valar captured Melkor at the Battle of the Powers, they stormed and searched Tumnal and Angbad, however they failed to find Sauron. 
Sauron now became a sorcerer of dreadful power. Master of shadows and phantoms, foul in wisdom, cruel in strength, misshaping what he touched, twisting what he ruled, lord of werewolves, his dominion was torment. Sauron continued his evil operations during the Great March, and it is said that he afflicted the land of the elves in the Vales of Anduin, forcing them to resume their journey. With the unchaining of Morgoth and his subsequent destruction of the Two Trees of Valinor, the sun first rose and ushered in the awakening of men. Leaving Sauron in command of the war, Morgoth left Angband in secret to find the second-born kindred of the children of Iluvatar and to corrupt them to his will. After the fall of Ingolfin, Sauron launched an attack on Tol Sirion. Utter fear descended upon the Orodreth and those who defended the Isle. Sauron assailed Minas Tirith and turned it into a watchtower for Morgoth. Upon hearing the deeds of Barahir and his companions, Morgoth ordered Sauron to find and kill them. Gorlim, one of Barahir's companions, was captured and brought before Sauron. Sauron promised that he would free Gorlim and his wife, Ilanel, in return for information. Under the terror of Sauron's eyes, Gorlim revealed everything he knew, and thus the hiding place of Barahir was betrayed to the enemy. Subsequently, Sauron, non surprise, then revealed Ilenian was dead and had Gorlim put to death. Surprise, surprise. Baron, son of Barahir, promised to avenge his father's death. He wandered Dorthanian as an outlaw and achieved great deeds that were heard far and wide. Morgoth set a high price on his head, and Sauron, commanding a great army of werewolves and fell beasts, sought for Baron. Later, Finrod, Felagund, Baron, and their ten companions left Nargothrond in search for the Silmarils. Despite their being disguised as orcs, Sauron spied them as they entered into the Vale between Arid Wethrin and Tar Nufuin, and was suspicious as orcs passing were supposed to report to him. He had them captured and they were brought to him. There, Finrod and Sauron fought in songs of power. The strength of both was great, but Sauron was more powerful. He then stripped them of their orc disguises, but failed to discern who they were. He had them thrown into a dark pit, where they were one by one devoured by a werewolf. Withstanding this horror, they refused to betray one another. When all of their companions were dead, Finrod and Baron were the last to remain alive in Sauron's pit. When a werewolf went to attack Baron, Finrod Felagund used all his power to defeat it. In this, he was successful. However, he was critically wounded and soon passed away. In that dark moment, moment Luthien came to the bridge of Tolengarhoth and sang. From his tower in his Tirith, Sauron saw Luthien and knew that it was the famous daughter of Melian and Thingol. He desired to capture her and hand her over to Morgoth, therefore he sent a wolf to the bridge, but it was quickly and silently slain by Juan. He sent many more, and each one Juan killed. Finally, he sent 
Drogluin, sire of the werewolves of Angband. The fight between Huan and Drog Drogluin was fierce. Eventually, Drogluin fled, and before dying, he told his master that Huan was there. Therefore, Sauron took the form of a werewolf, the greatest the world had ever seen, and went towards the bridge. So great was the terror of his approach that even Huan momentarily recoiled. Sauron leapt in to attack Luthien, but she drew her, her magic veil over his eyes, afflicting him with fatigue and blindness. Then Huan sprang upon Sauron and there they fought. The force of Sauron's malice alone left Luthien weak and nearly unconscious, and the fighting was brutal and prolonged, however he could not subdue the Hound of Valinor. He was trapped within Juan's jaws and could not break free, even when he took the form of a serpent and then finally his own shape. Rather than leave his physical form, he yielded to Luthien, giving her control of the isle in return for his release. He then took the form of a vampire and fled to Tar Nufuin, filling the forest with horror. After the War of Wrath, the downfall of Morgoth, and the destruction of Thangorodrim, Sauron adopted a fair form, repented of his, his evil deeds in fear of the wrath of Valar. Eonwe ordered Sauron to return to Valinor in order to receive the judgment of Manwe. Sauron was not willing to suffer such humiliation, and he instead fled and hid himself in Middle-earth. It was 500 years into the Second Age when Star Sauron started to stir again. Sauron decided that the Valar had forgotten about Middle-earth, and he once again turned to evil. Many men in East and South, already corrupted by Melkor, fell under the shadow by following him. By the Second Age, 882, Gilgalad sensed a shadow arising in the East and sent a warning to Numenor. Around Second Age 1000, Sauron was alarmed by the growing power of the Numenorians and chose Mordor as a land to make into a stronghold. He began the building of Barad-dûr, the Dark Tower near Mount Doom. Although Sauron long knew that the men were easier to sway, he sought to bring the elves into his service, as they were far more powerful. After lying hidden and increasing his power in secret, in Second Age 1200, Sauron put on a disguise calling himself Anatar, the Lord of Gifts, an emissary from the Valar. He was never welcome in Linden, as Elrond and Gilgalad did not trust him and refused to treat with him, although they did not perceive who he truly was. Elsewhere, Anatar was gladly received, especially in Eregion, where only Gladriel distrusted him. The Noldoran Smiths there learned much from him in art, of, in art and magic, as their first thirst for more knowledge was great. Under the tutelage of Anatar, and the leadership of Celebrimbor, grandson of Feanor, became more skilled and powerful than anyone save Feanor himself. In the year 1500 of the Second Age, when they reached the very height of their power, the elves began the forging of the Rings of Power, which according to Anatar would help them preserve their powers over Middle-earth. But Sauron was ready to begin his own plans, and in Second Age 1600, ten years after the completion of the Rings of Power, he created the One Ring to control the bearers of the Ring of the Other Rings. 
He invested most of his own power into the ring as he forged it, so that it would be more powerful than the others. With its power, he completed the building of the Dark Tower as well. As Sauron forged the One Ring, he spoke a dark chant in black speech, saying, One ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all. And in the darkness, find them. Which was then inscribed into the ring itself. But the elves were not so easily ensnared, and as soon as Sauron put on the One Ring, they and Celebrimbor were aware of him and realized they were betrayed. They hid their rings from Sauron and did not use them. Sauron demanded that the other rings be given to him, for they would not have been made without his knowledge. The elves refused, and the war was inevitable. During this time, Sauron constructed the Black Gate of Mordor to prevent invasion, and raised massive armies of orcs, trolls, and men, chiefly Easterlings and Southrons whom he dominated as a king and god. He had them make many fortified towns and arm those under him with iron. The War of the Elves and Sauron began in Second Age 1693 and was a bloody conflict which destroyed Aregion and devastated much of Eriador. Celebrimbor was slain and his body impaled on a spike paraded at the head of Sauron's legion. The elves were pushed back almost to the Blue Mountains, while their dwarven allies, who had also rejected Sauron, retreated behind the walls of Moria, where Sauron could not assail them. Sauron was the Dark Lord of almost all of Middle-earth beyond the coasts, but the Numenorians responded to the elves' call for aid and sent a relief force. With the united forces, Sauron's army was driven back and defeated near Sarn Ford and withdrew to Tharbad, where he was reinforced. But the Numenorian admiral, Kyriatar, had sent a fleet up the river, Guathlo, and Sauron's army was attacked in the rear and utterly defeated. The Dark Lord fled back to Mordor with little more than his own bodyguard and a handful of orcs. Nonetheless, while Sauron's subsequent power never quite matched the height it had during the war with the elves, many of his most powerful enemies' homelands had been devastated. As the Numenorians established dominions around the Westlands in the Second Age 1800, Sauron's empire continued to expand and dominate barbarian men as servants and worshippers to the far south and east. As the elves had failed him, he had decided to distribute the rings of power to three corrupted lords of Numenor, and an easterling king and five other men, as well as the lords of the dwarves. The dwarves proved too hardy and resistant to their effects, but the men eventually faded, and in second age 2251, they appeared as ringwraiths, his great slaves. Believing he would dominate all of Middle-earth, Sauron assumed many glorious titles such as King of Kings, King of Men, Lord of Middle-earth, and even Lord of the World. This offended the arrogant Numenorians who had already started to fall under the shadow, 
The proud Numenorians came to Middle-earth with a great force of arms, and Sauron's forces fled. Realizing he could not defeat the Numenorians with military strength, Sauron allowed himself to be taken as a hostage to Numenor by King Arpharazon in the Second Age 3262. There he quickly grew from captive to advisor and was known as Zagir, the wizard. He seduced the king and further corrupted the people. He converted many Numenorians to the worship of darkness, becoming high priest of the cult of Melkor. He had the white tree cut down and in its place raised a great temple in which he performed many human sacrifices, persecuting those who were still faithful. Finally, he convinced the king to rebel against the Valar and attack Valinor itself, claiming they would gain immortality. Eru, the supreme god, then directly intervened. Numenor was drowned under the sea, and the great navy of Numenor was destroyed. Sauron was on Numenor in the temple of Melkor and was caught in the ensuing flood. However, his spirit survived, although severely weakened by the destruction, and it fled back to Middle-earth. Sauron's spirit returned to Mordor in Second Age 3320, where he slowly rebuilt his strength, although he was unable to assume a fair shape. From this point on, he started to roll through terror and force, largely filling fearsome role left vacant by his former master. Meanwhile, a few faithful Numenorians led by Elendil were saved from the flood, and they founded Gondor and Arnor in Middle-earth. Sauron still considered them his hated enemies, and he launched a preemptive attack on Gondor in Second Age 3429. In response, Numenorians formed the last alliance with the elven king Gilgalad. Learning of them, Sauron dispatched some orcs of Mordor to the Misty Mountains to ambush them. He also burned the gardens of the Antwives against the advance of the allies down the Anduin. Nonetheless, the allies reached Mordor and defeated Sauron's forces in the Battle of Daggerlad in 34-34 of the Second Age, and finally laid siege to Barad-dûr. The siege lasted for seven years until 34-41 of the Second Age, when Sauron left his fortress, engaging in direct combat. Elendil and Gilgalad fought Sauron and vanquished him, but both were killed. Isildur, son of Elendil, and cut the One Ring from Sauron's finger and claimed it for his own. Later, the One Ring it was lost for more than 2,000 years. After his defeat in the War of the Last Alliance, Sauron lost his ability to form a physical body for a great while. In the Third Age, Sauron returned to Middle-earth and, as a necromancer, took the hill of Amenlenk as his, his fortress in Dol Guldur. As one of his chief servants, the Witch King formed the realm of Angmar in the north of Eriador. Following an attack by the White Council in Third Age 2941, Sauron returned to his fortress in Barador in Mordor, marshalling his armies and using his two-faced vassal Saruman. By Third Age 3018, Frodo Baggins was now in possession of the One Ring, and he was led by Gandalf as a member of the Fellowship in the quest of the ring. 
As one of the most powerful Maiar, Sauron was created by Luvatar, before the music of the Ainur. At the beginning of time, he was amongst the Ainur who entered into Ea. Sauron's defeat released his subjects, like the Easterlings, from his tyranny, but they fell into chaos. Their tribes and kingdoms battled against each other, and some withdrew to the hated west. Weakened by his defeat and the loss of the One Ring, it is thought that he fled into the Far East to regain his power and strength before returning. It was not until TA-1000 that Sauron could be, again begin to take shape in a physical living body. Worried by his prospect, the Valar sent five Maiar from the West to assist the peoples of Middle-earth against Sauron. His power was enough that he began again to throw a shadow across portions of Middle-earth, but apparently Sauron's spirit managed to move some Easterlings, who invaded Rovanian and came to the Vale of Anduin. These moves coincided with the coming of the Shadow to Greenwood the Great, around 1050, Southern Greenwood as a place to build the fortress of Dol Guldor. At first, the wise thought that this necromancer was the one of the Nazgul who had returned and taken up, taken up residence in Southern Greenwood. The year TA-1300 marked Sauron's increased power, evidenced by evil things who multiplied and grew bold again, like the orcs of the Misty Mountains and some of the dragons who attacked the dwarves and the return of the Nazgul with the founding of the evil realm of Angmar. In the following centuries, Sauron's subjects in Angmar, the east and the south, concentrated against his ancient enemies. Kings Arafant of Arnor and Ondor of Gondor realized that a single force was coordinating the attacks on both of their kingdoms and that they needed to work together to combat this evil. However, Angmar was successful in destroying Arnor, and soon after, the Nazgul gathered in Mordor and conquered Minas Ethil to prepare for Sauron's return. Their final success was ending the royal line of Gondor. As his shadow deepened, a Balrog awoke, causing the destruction of Moria. By TA-2060, the power of Dol Guldor grew so much that the wise were alerted that Sauron was returning. Gandalf entered the fortress in 2063, but the shadow fled before him. Returning to the east, Sauron started corrupting the Easterlings and forging a strong alliance between their tribes. The period of his absence was known as the Watchful Peace because the shadow on Mirkwood had lessened and the Nazgul stayed quiet in Minas Morgul, using this period to prepare for Sauron's return. The Necromancer returned in 2460, more powerful, with many men in his service and again took up residence in Dogledor. His return coincided with the One Ring revealing itself three years later, falling into the hands of a store. Sensing the danger, the Wise formed the White Council. The Necromancer's aims remained to gather the Rings of Power, find news about the One Ring, and eliminate the heir of Isildur if one remained in Middle-earth. In TA 2475, the Urukai exited Mordor and briefly conquered Athelion. Some years later, the Orcs of the Mountains organized themselves, blocking the pass to the west. Moria had been depopulated centuries earlier by the Balrog, and Sauron sent Orcs and Trolls there. Also under his shadow were Balkoth, who invaded Mirkwood and cooperated with Orcs to attack Gondor. Sauron's servants captured the Dwarf King Thrain II, 
and took one of the seven dwarf rings from him. Still investigating the necromancer, Gandalf snuck into Dolgaldor in 2850 and met the dying dwarf king. Learning that the necromancer was none other than Sauron, the next year Gandalf informed the White Council and urged an immediate attack upon the fortress. But Saruman the White had learned of the presence of the ruling ring near the Gladden Fields, and he thought it best to allow Sauron to build up his strength in order to reveal this location so that Saruman could seize it himself. Following this strategy, Saruman opposed Gandalf. As his power was growing and his rising came closer, his minions moved against Gondor. His agents stirred the Herodrim to resume attacking Gondor, while Urukai and Orcs of Mordor infested Athelion, but never managed to pass beyond Anduin. All this time, Sauron apparently had learned of the disaster of Gladden Fields, where his old enemy Isildur was killed, shortly after his own demise, almost three millennia ago. He sent his minions to look for the One Ring around the Anduin near the Gladden Fields, not knowing that it had already been in the possession of Gollum. Considering the situations and the occupation of the Dragon Smaug of Erebor, Gandalf was worried that Sauron's military assault against the West was a matter of time, and that he would use Smaug in his force. Gandalf started considering a simultaneous attack, both against Dolgodor and against Smaug, to weaken Sauron. In TA 2939, Saruman learned that Sauron was searching for the ring and worried that he would find it sooner than he would. In 2941, he conceded with Gandalf to attack Dolgoldor. Indeed, in the meantime, Gandalf managed to eliminate Smaug and the orcs of the mountains were decimated in the ensuing battle, allowing the kingdom under the mountain and dale to flourish once again. Although Gandalf was weakening Sauron's potential grasp into the north, Sauron had been expecting the White Council's attack against Dolgaldor and fled from there. The Nazgul had been preparing Barad-dûr for Sauron's return, so it was easy for Sauron to return secretly to his old stronghold a year later. Sauron then declared himself openly in the Third Age 2951, sent three Nazgul back to Dolgaldor and started rebuilding the Dark Tower, and once it was completed, Mount Doom erupted. From then on, Sauron stayed in Barad-dûr to conduct his war on the Free Peoples. The Shadow of Mordor caused despair and sickness to the Gondorians, like Fenduilas, and in his desperation, the steward Denethor, Sauron's most immediate enemy, used the Arnor Stone to gain knowledge. That palantir was directly linked to the Ethel Stone that the Nazgul had taken from Minas Ethel, which then became Minas Morgul, and when Sauron used it, he discovered Denethor was also using his. Sauron attempted to wrench the Arnor Stone to his will, but failed due to Denethor's strength of will and birthright to the stone. But this stressed and wore out the steward who lost his hope. By TA 3000, the shadow lengthened and Saruman, who was residing in Orthanc, had secretly found and decided to use the Orthanc Stone. As happened with Denethor, Sauron linked with his mind managing to enslave him. From one of his wisest enemies, Saruman became one of his greatest servants. Around TA 3009, 
Gollum, who formerly bore the One Ring and now pursued its thief, ventured into Mordor and was captured by Sauron's minions. Gollum was tortured and interrogated for the following years, and before releasing him, Sauron learned that the One Ring had been found by Bilbo Baggins of the Shire. Sauron bred immense armies of orcs and allied with or enslaved men from the south and the east. He adopted the symbol of a lidless eye, and he was able at that time to send out his will over Middle-earth so that the eye of Sauron became a symbol of his power and fear. Sauron was alarmed when the elves of Mirkwood captured Gollum, so in June of TA 3018, he dispatched the Nazgul to hunt for the One Ring in secrecy. To disguise the crossing of the Nine over the Great River, Sauron staged an attack on Osgiliath. This feint served two purposes, first to test the strength and preparedness of Denethor, and second, and more importantly, present the Nazgul as merely a military asset, concealing from the wise their true mission. Denethor's forces were stronger than Sauron hoped, but Sauron took the eastern half of the city nonetheless. This allowed the Nazgul to cross the Great River and begin their hunt. Now knowing the measure of his enemy, Sauron continued to amass his force in Minas Morgul and Mordor in preparation for the Siege of Gondor. By September, the Nazgul had failed to discover the Shire, and Sauron's wrath and fear were mounting. Via messenger, Sauron ordered the Nine to discard secrecy in favor of speed and to go to Isengard to confront Saruman about his knowledge of the whereabouts of the One Ring. At this time, Sauron also conveyed to the Nine such dire threats as to dismay even the Lord of Morgul. The Nine ultimately failed in their mission, being defeated and unhorsed by the flood of the Bruinen. The Witch King returned alone to Mordor in December of 3018 to Sauron's great fear for Sauron perceived that his foes still had strength left in them, and luck seemed to be on their side. Sauron's next glimpse of the ring, or so he believed, would come in the late hours of March 5th, 3019 of the Third Age, when Pippin looked into the palantir of Orthanc that he had recovered from the flood of Isengard. Sauron's will was stronger than the hobbits, and he forced Pippin to look upon him but he failed to understand the true circumstances of their encounter, believing Pippin to be a prisoner of Saruman. Rather than interrogate Pippin immediately, Sauron chose to cruelly torment him, bid him tell Saruman that he would send for it, quote, it, meaning Pippin, immediately. Sauron's own cruelty and arrogance robbed him of this opportunity to uncover the true identity of the Ringbearer and his mission. A few hours later, on the morning of March 6th, Sauron again encountered one of his foes in the Palantir of Orthanc, Aragorn. Aragorn looked into the stone deliberately to reveal himself to Sauron as the heir of Isildur and wielder of Andoril, the blade that had been reforged. Aragorn spoke no word to Sauron, and with a great effort of will, wrestled control of the stone from him. As Aragorn intended, this played on Sauron's gnawing doubts and filled him with fear. Thus he ordered the Witch King to launch his long-planned assault on Gondor immediately, rather than wait for all preparations to be made. The death of the Witch King and the defeat of his army in the Battle of Pelennor Fields were a setback to Sauron, but he still had a great force of arms held in reserve in Mordor, enough to secure victory with a second, greater assault. 
After his encounter with Aragorn in the Palantir, Sauron believed that one of his foes in Minas Tirith held the One Ring and would soon attempt to use it. As such, Gandalf was able to exploit Sauron's false beliefs with an audacious plan. The army of the Free Peoples would march in the Black Gate as the Faint, keeping Sauron's eye fixed upon them and blind to all else that moved, as the true Ringbearer made his way to Mount Doom. Certainty of death, small chance of success. What are we waiting for? For the next nine days, Gandalf's plan worked. As the host of the West made its way east and north, Sauron kept his entire focus upon it and diverted his whole strength of Mordor to the Black Gate to meet them. Even when Shagrat brought news of an, quote, elvish intruder in Kirith Ungol, Sauron's belief that the ring was with the host of the West remained unshaken and he was made and he made no attempt to investigate further. Frodo and Sam thus made it to the Samoth Nar undetected, and Sauron did not become aware of them until the very moment that Frodo claimed the One Ring for himself. Sauron saw Frodo the moment he put on the ring, and realizing he had been tricked, was overwhelmed with wrath and fear. He instantly lost all interest in the ongoing battle of the Moranon, and dispatched the Nazgul from the skies above to Mount Doom with all haste. It was too late though, Gollum fell into the crack of Doom with the One Ring, destroying it and himself. In the moment of the Ring's destruction, Barad-dûr and many other of Sauron's fortresses crumbled to ruin. Sauron's spirit emerged and rose above Mordor like a black cloud. He stretched out his hand towards the Army of the West, but even as he did so, he was blown away by a great wind and vanished. Thus Sauron's power was unmade, and his dominion in Middle-earth came to an end. According to Gandalf, Sauron was, quote, maimed forever, becoming a mere spirit and malice that gnaws itself in the shadows, but cannot again grow or take shape, end quote. Sauron's corporal body that was in the Dark Tower died, and without the ring, his spirit no longer had the power to create a new one. Though his indestructible mind and being were bound forever to Ea, Sauron had lost all power to effect his will upon the world it could never again grow in strength. The very first times we see Sauron, he appeared as a royal and commanding figure in a strong body. He was also able to veil his power and change his shape. Later, however, he could take only a terrible form of a stature slightly greater than a man's and an image of malice and hatred. Asildor recounted that at the siege of Barador, Sauron's hand was black with a deadly burning touch. Gollum would also call him Black Hand, noticing he only had four fingers after Asildor cut one off. The Eye of Sauron, called by various names, was a symbol of Sauron the Dark Lord following the loss of the One Ring. The symbol was adopted to show his unceasing vigilance and piercing perception and was displayed on the weaponry of his servants, or at least his orcs. Sauron's eye, as Frodo sees it in the Mirror of Galadriel, is the only feature of his later form described in detail. It is yellow and rimmed with fire with a slit pupil, described as a window to, into nothing. The color is compared to that of a cat's eye, but because of the references to Sauron's lidless eye, may also remember resemble that of a snake, such as an adder. 
Readers differ as to whether Sauron's eyes were literally lidless and resembled what Frodo saw, or instead the eye was the only was only a symbol that Frodo saw in the mirror in an elaborate form. Sauron is a Quenya name said to mean the abhorred. And several accounts of the origin of the name Sauron were suggested in different linguistic manuscripts, driving from Quenya, meaning foul, evil-smelling, or putrid, or vile, depending on the root. The manuscript continues saying that Sauron could be a genuine Sindarin form of Saur, but is probably from Quenya. However, this appears to have been rejected. Gorthaur was a name used of Sauron by the Sindar during the First Age, meaning terrible dread. The name is composed of the elements Gor, meaning horror or dread, and Thaur, meaning abominable or abhorrent. It is said that Sauron's original name was Mehran, meaning the admirable, but it was altered after he was suborned by Melkor. He continued to call himself Mehran, the Admirable, or Tar Mehran, meaning King Excellent, until after Numenor's downfall, although he could not use the name in Numenor as it was a Quenya name with royal implications. There he was called Zagur, meaning Wizard, in Adunaic. Anatar is Quenya for Lord of Gifts. It can be noticed that Morgoth used a similar name when he seduced the First Men, meaning giver of gifts. In an isolated note, Tolkien gives other names used by Sauron when he seduced the elves in the Second Age, such as Artano, meaning high smith, and Eulendil, meaning devoted to Eule. And there you have it, the history of Sauron. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, History of Middle-Earth Podcast, we have an Instagram at History of Middle Earth Pod and our website, MinisterEarthArchives.com. If you have any questions, send them in through our Facebook page, our website, or to our email, MinisterEarthArchives at gmail.com, to get them answered on a following episode. That's it for this week's episode. If you liked it, feel free to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you back next time. I'm your host, Phil, and you're listening to the History of Middle-Earth Podcast. <laughs>